Welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. Jesus was a master storyteller, and he constantly used short stories or parables to communicate spiritual truths to the crowds that gathered to hear him. By telling parables, the secrets of the kingdom would be revealed to Jesus' disciples, but they would be hidden from his opponents. Listen to this talk from the parable series as we dive into some of Jesus' most memorable stories. Well, good morning. My name's Bruce. I'm the executive pastor here at the Ridge. So thankful that you're joining us and worshiping with us today. So uh, I've got a twin brother and two younger brothers, and we're within five years of each other. We kind of ran as the Lane boys. And I don't know about you if you've got siblings, but we were ultra competitive with each other, just on about everything. And it didn't take long till I realized that I wasn't near as talented as my three brothers in just about everything, whether it was athletics or academics or music and art. I just wasn't on the same level as my three brothers. It wasn't like I was horrible at any of them. I just, I just wasn't as talented as them. And then as I grew up, right, in high school and college, I realized, man, there's just a lot of a lot of people out there that are more talented than me. I'm talking like talent show talented, right? And so that was something that I never, not only aspired to, but never would enter a talent show. Maybe some of you can relate to that. Or maybe some of you out here are talent show people. Maybe you entered talent shows, either as a child or as an adult, right? And it seems like there's so many talent shows on TV today. Fun fact, first talent show that uh, people talk about was actually the original Amateur Hour. Not sure if you remember that. It started in 1934 on radio, then moved to TV in 1948. So we've had nearly 90 years of talent shows and be able to listen or watch, right? Can remember the first one really for me, late 70s, maybe some of you know it, The Gong Show. Not a great talent show, but that's what it was. And then in the early 80s, there was Star Search, Ed McMahon Star Search. And it really wasn't until 2000 that we just had more and more talent shows. American Idol, now The Voice, even The Masked Singer, whatever that is, I don't know. And right now, right, we're right in the middle of America's Got Talent. I'm not sure why, but I think we either like to watch talent shows or trying to figure out, maybe we like to judge them. Maybe that's it. You know, I tried to figure out what was really the definition of talent. And um, through my research, the, uh, the great theologian Simon Cowell said this, talent is very difficult to define. Having the ability to sing, that's one thing. Charisma, that's really important. But being remembered, he goes on to say, I'd say it's probably the most important thing nowadays. Have you, you have to have something for people to remember you by. Well, we're in, right in the middle of our summer series on the parables and in case you didn't guess it, today we're talking about the parable of the talents. Last week, Tim talked about the parable of the 10 virgins. And it was really about be ready. Jesus is gonna return, the master's gonna return at some point, the bridegroom's gonna return and we need to be ready. And next week, Tim's gonna talk about 
the parable of the sheep and the goats. And that's, he's coming back and this is what's gonna happen. So you're not gonna wanna miss that. But right in between those two parables is the parable of the talents. And it's really about what we need to be doing while we're ready for him to return. Now I was gonna say, my takeaway was today was that I'm not very talented, but that probably wouldn't be a very good rest of the story or don't bury your talent because as I talk to people about the parable of the talents, that's the first thing that comes to their mind, don't bury their talent. But really, I think what our takeaway today is, is that we need to faithfully invest our God-given talents. Faithfully invest our God-given talents. Now, the parable is found in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 to 30. It's a little long. Sorry we don't have the uh, scriptures on the screens to follow along. But if you have in your Bibles, we're going to start in verse 14. I'm going to read it, and then we'll dissect it a little bit. He says, For it is just like a man about to go on a journey. He calls his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gives five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on their ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man who had two earned two more. But the man who received one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came back to settle the accounts. His, uh, to the first man, he said, who received five talents, approached and said, I've got five more. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. So far, so good. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and dug a hole in the ground and put your talent there. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant, if you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, you should have deposited my money with bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. And this is pretty sobering as the parable ends. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So before we unpack it, and just like last week, I think we need a little background information. Again, those three parables and a couple other before him Jesus were talking to his disciples. Um, in Matthew 24, 3, we read, when he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples approached him privately and said, tell us, tell us about these things. 
when they'll happen? What's the sign of your coming in the end of the age? You see, this was during the last week of Jesus's life. Historians think it was probably Tuesday of his last week that he was sitting with his disciples and explaining these things to them in parables. Again, it comes right after the parable of the 10 virgins, which Tim talked about, about we need to be ready. Now it's what we do until he returns. The man or the master in this parable is Jesus. The journey that they talk about the man's on is really the time that Jesus is gone until he returns here and the servants are his disciples, which also include all of us. So now let's break down uh, a little bit this parable. Starting in verse 14, we read, for it's just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another he gave two talents, to another one talent, depending on their ability. And that's important, depending on their ability. Then he went on the journey immediately. The man who had received five talents went and put it to work. And he earned five more in the same way. The one who had two talents earned two more, but the man who had received one talent went off, hid the talent, dug a hole in the ground, hid his master's money. You see, in biblical times, it was common for the master to turn his possessions over to his servants until he returned, if he was on a journey, and they were supposed to do something with those talents, possessions until he returned. R.C. Sproul states that a steward in the ancient world was a person who was given the responsibility and authority to rule over the, rule over the affairs of the household. For example, you may remember the patriarch Joseph became a steward over Potiphar's household and was given authority to rule over the entire house. That's found in Genesis chapter 39, verses one to six. In that role, he was responsible to manage the household well. He was not to waste the resources of the family, but to make wise decisions. And that's what the servants are supposed to do here. The master's gone, hands in the talents, and they're supposed to make wise decisions. In this parable, the talent represents a unit or a measurement of money. A few weeks ago in one of the talks Tim talked about on forgiveness, he talked about the talent. And really, um, there's a couple different, different, different definitions, but most people feel that a talent is worth about 20 man years of labor. Quickly, that's about a million dollars in today's currency. So even though we think of five two and one as just kind of numbers, one talent worth a million dollars is still a crazy, crazy amount of money. And when I was thinking about that, perhaps we should consider the possibility maybe that we've been given way more by God, a crazy amount more by God than we think we've been given. So each servant in the story received the money according to their ability and they put him to work, right? What's the talk? The first two servants went immediately and uh, started investing their money to receive a return. I think that's what a good steward does, right? They go immediately. They didn't know when the master was gonna be back. They just did it. 
And it's interesting, even though the first two servants didn't receive the same amount of talent, it was unequal, they both received an equal terms and percentage on their investment, right? First one had five, got five more, that's 100%. Second one had two, got two more, that's 100%. Third servant, not so much. He didn't invest it, right? His return when the master came was 0%. So what does that look like for us today? I think it's that Jesus expects us to steward our God-given talents, what he gives us well. And, and I think if we think about talents, right, it's not necessarily money. It's our skills, our abilities, our gifts, our resources, everything that God has given us. Our talents aren't to be used uh, selfishly. They're not to be uh, hidden in the ground. Uh, they're not to be for our safekeeping, but they are to be used to impact God's kingdom. All our talents have been given to us by God. Do we believe that? Everything we have has been given to us by God. In James 1.17, we read, every good and perfect gift comes, uh, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Everything comes from God. And in Romans 12, uh, verses six through eight, we read, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. If prophecy, use it to, uh, for prophecy. If service, use it for service. If teaching and teaching. If exhorting and exhortation. Giving with generosity. Leading with diligence. Or showing mercy with cheerfulness. God gives each of us our unique talents. Do we believe that? Do we even know our talents? You know, like me growing up, I didn't think I had that much talent, right? But it wasn't until I got older that through some assessments and trial and error and what do I do well and what do I not do well, my strengths and weakness, I realized maybe I do have some talents. Maybe God did give me some talents, right? I realized that, that I'm good in leadership and administration, good with wisdom and, and good with strategy. You know, those might not be the first gifts or first uh, talents we think of in the talent show, but those are things that he gave me and that I can use every day to impact the kingdom. So let's see what happens when the master returns, right? This is what happens. Now the master returns, gonna settle his accounts. Uh, beginning in verse 19, we read, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with each of them. The man who received five talents approached presented five more talents and said, master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. And his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share in my, your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You know, it's interesting there that the master said the same thing to both the first and second servant, right? Didn't have anything to do with how many talents he got. It didn't even, I don't think matter what the return was. 
He was gone for a long time. And to each of them, he said, well done, good and faithful servant. The original word, uh, this is according to Benson, a scholar Benson, the original word well done had a peculiar force and energy far beyond what we can express in English. It was used by auditors or spectators in any public exp- uh, uh, in, in uh, any public exercise to express the highest level, highest applause when any part had been done excellently well or excellently performed. So that's what the master does. He gives the first and second servants great applause for their return on investment. But notice that the master didn't praise them for their financial or investment knowledge, wasn't for their ability, wasn't for their performance, even their skills. What's he say? Well done, good and faithful servant. He praised them for their faithfulness. I think that's what he does with us, right? He doesn't praise us for our performance or skills, though I think that's what we think sometimes. He praises us for our faithfulness. How faithful were we to use those talents that he's given us? You know, as I was preparing for this talk, I was reminded of my mom and she passed away almost 18 years ago. And during her memorial service, one of my brothers spoke about her and how she kind of embodied that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. It was a testament to her and how she had used her God-given talents. And this is what he said. I'm just gonna read a little bit. He said, whatever she did, She did well and gave it her all from swimming as a teenager in the junior Olympics to throwing the ball with her kids, she did it well. From gardening and raising animals on the farm we grew up on to cooking soup, she did it well. From singing in the choir and leading Bible studies, she did it well. From organizing family reunions to organizing her day on her yellow legal pads, she did it well. He goes on to say, mom was faithful to the very end, a faithful prayer warrior. He said, two weeks before she passed away, my brother had a special moment with her at home where she showed him her prayer journal. He says, while the writing was a bit messy, she showed him page after page after page of concerns that she was still diligently praying for And then he kind of ended with, there was ever an example of a servant, it was mom. A servant gives and expects nothing in return. That's who mom was. Mom gave her time and her talent to so many people. She was a servant to the very end. And he even said, again, two weeks before she passed away, she was talking about how she was gonna lead the women's Bible study that fall. Always giving and expecting nothing in return. You know, I think that, In fact, I'm quite certain that the master or Jesus would have told her, well, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things, sharing your master's joy. So that was the master's response to the first two servants. Let's look at the servant's reply and the master's response to the third servant. So the man who received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown 
and gathering where you haven't sown seed. So I was afraid of you and went and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If I knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I will receive my money back with interest when I returned. You know, I think we sometimes jump to the master's reply without thinking of the servant's response, right? I mean, we, we sometimes feel that servant gets a bad rap, right? I mean, he didn't lose the money. He didn't squander it. And he just buried it. What's wrong with that, right? Why is the master being so hard? Why would the master call him an evil, lazy servant? Well, I think it's because the third servant, it's how he viewed the master, right? He claimed the master was difficult. He was harsh. He reaped where and gathered where he hadn't sown. He was fearful of the master. And I think he even blamed the master for his lack of return. The master didn't punish him for fraud. Master didn't punish him for theft. He punished him for omission, for what he didn't do with his talent, right? He just buried it. He didn't invest it, didn't have any chance for a return. I think he buried it because he didn't have a relationship with the master. According to Gill, he, the third servant, pretends that he knew him, pretends he knew the master. But if he had, if he really knew the master, he would have had a true affection for him, faith in him. And he would have observed the master's commands. He would have also appeared altogether lovely to him. And if an am- he would have been an amiable character and not in such the same light that he was, how he represented him. Which it makes it clear, Gill says in this case, that he was ignorant of him. He had no real relationship. I would argue that the third servant does not represent a true believer. He's not, has no true relationship with the master. You know, Arch talked about having that relationship. We talked about communion. I think the first two servants had that, not so much with the third servant. The parable ends, beginning verse 28, says, so take the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have more than enough. But from one who does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw this good for nothing servant into the outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, I, I wanna be clear that the third servant had his talent taken away from him and was thrown into outer darkness, not just because he buried his talent and had a 0% return, but because he had no relationship with the father. So as Jesus finished this parable, I wonder what the disciples were thinking. Did they see themselves in the first two servants? Could they possibly see themselves in the third servant? How about you? Which one of those servants resonates with you? You know, to be honest, I'm not sure any, any of them resonate with me. You know, I, I've got a relationship with the father, with the master, with Jesus, so I don't see myself as the third servant. 
but I'm not sure that I'm always using my God-given talents the way the first two servants did. If it was me, I wish part of that parable had a fourth servant. Maybe this is how it would have gone. Master, you gave me three talents. Look, I'm not sure I only received three. I mean, it's better than two, but you didn't give me five. That's not fair. Anyways, I tried to invest those talents, but it was harder than I thought. It took longer than I thought. I didn't know when you were going to be back. Look, I was able to eke out a small return, but I can't wait for the next opportunity you give me. I think I could resonate more with that servant. You see, many times I compare my talents with others. I've been doing it since I was little. Maybe I don't risk hard enough, right? I don't know when it's coming back. It shouldn't matter, but maybe I'm playing it too safe. But I'll feel better when the next opportunity comes. Maybe that's where some of you are today. But But I think there was no need for a fourth servant in that parable because Jesus would have expected his disciples to be all in, right? He would have expected to be the first and for, for his disciples to do exactly what the first and second servant did to invest their God-given talents faithfully until he returned. So how can we apply this parable, parable to us today? How can we begin to faithfully or continue faithfully investing our God-given talents? Well, I think there's three things. First, I think we have to have a proper view of the master have a proper view of the master. We need to be like the first and second uh, servants who had that relationship with their heavenly father. Not like the third servant who didn't. Um, Maybe some of you are here today and you're not sure your relationship with your father, your heavenly father. Uh, Maybe you've got questions. I would say, if that's you, head out to next steps on the way out. Somebody there would be glad to talk to you about that. This is so important, especially in light of what Tim's gonna talk about next week, that we get this one right. And if you're online, check out our Next Steps tab. A lot of information there. Second, once we've got that relationship, I think we must understand our God-given talents. We must understand. It's amazing how much I hear people not understanding what their talents are. If I only knew my talents, I could do this. Two questions to ask yourself. What are you good at? What are you passionate about? What are you good at? What are you passionate about? Start there. Everybody's good at something. Everybody's passionate about something. Those are skills that we can use to impact the kingdom. And finally, once we understand and know our God-given talents, we must faithfully invest them. This will look different for each of us. You know, in 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11, it says, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the very grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be to one who speaks God's words. If anyone serves, let it be from the strength that God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We all have an opportunity to invest our talents. Um, 
few weeks back, some of us uh, from the Ridge went on a mission trip uh, to Honduras. It was awesome. But it, what was really great was to see how each of the people on the mission trip were able to use the talents that God gave them, whether it was woodworking or dentistry or hospitality, administration, playing with kids. Everybody had the opportunity to use their gifts like the first and second servant. They were able to use their God-given talents to meet the needs of the people and the needs of the kingdom. It was also great to see our Honduran friends and how they used their unique talents to meet the spiritual and physical needs of their neighbors. So bottom line's this, God's expecting each of us to invest our talents and make the most of the opportunities he's given us. And when we faithfully do, when we faithfully invest our talents, I think our response to God can be, Master, you gave me these talents. I faithfully invested them. And here's my return. And then we can look forward to the master saying to us, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you give us our talents according to our ability to advance your kingdom. Please help us better understand our talents and faithfully invest them where they will have the greatest return. Amen. Well, that's our service today. Thank you for worshiping with us. Again, Tim's gonna bring a message uh, next week, continue our parable series. Have a great week. Having a great 4th of July. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening and we will see you next time.